You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Luke chapter number 15, verse number 11. Look what the Bible says. A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. And there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare? They don't just have enough, they have extra. That's how good his father was. But look what he said, And I perish with hunger. I'll arise and go to my father, and I'll say unto him, Now I want you to notice what he says. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. So this boy that has strayed and no doubt he has sinned and he has done wrong finally comes to his senses. And it's a good day when the Holy Spirit of God convicts you and you come to your spiritual senses. And he arises from where he is and determines to go back to the father's house. And he prepares a speech. And he said, here's what I'm going to tell him when I get home. I'm going to tell him I've sinned, I've done wrong, and I'm not worthy to be your son. I just want to be your servant. Verse number 20, And he arose and came to his father, but when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And now watch, the boy begins to recite his speech. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, and I'm no more worthy to be called thy son but the father. See how quick that happened? He did not even get to finish his speech. He'd practiced it the entire way home. And the father interrupted him before he could get to the end of the thing. He cut him off before he got to the part about being a servant and said, wait a minute, stop right there. I'm just glad you're back. I'm just glad you're home. And the father said, hold it. He yelled at his servant and said, bring forth the best robe. Put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to be merry. I've preached from this chapter and this text, this passage a lot, many different times. But the other day as I studied, I saw that phrase twice in the text that this son makes. He says it two times. And in one sense, it's true. And in another sense, it's not true. And here's the statement that he makes. I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. Now, if we were to look at the prodigal from our perspective, we would agree. Because we know where he's been, what he's done, how he's acted. We would look at that boy and see what he's done to his father and say, you're right. 
You are not worthy of the Father. That's our perspective. But what if we took off our shoes, stepped on the holy ground, and looked at the prodigal from his father's perspective? Because, listen, there's a big difference in not being worthy of the Father and not being worthy to the Father. And while this boy was no doubt not the first, he would never not be the second. For a minute this morning, I want to preach to you on this thought. Let's look at the worth of a prodigal from the father's perspective. And maybe you're here this morning and you're here in heart, or I mean body, but not in heart. And you've wandered from God and you say, I'm not worthy of him. I don't deserve, and you never did. I want to look at the prodigal from the father's perspective. Let's pray. God, please help me to preach this thought. I pray it would make sense and encourage your people today. Maybe somebody's wandered in here, but they need to wander back home. I pray that you would draw your wayward children back to you. I pray that you'd save lost people. Encourage our hearts. Thank you for grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever heard this phrase, it depends on how you look at it? It's a common phrase, and we've probably all used it before. And what it means is there's often more than one way to look at whatever it is you're looking at. What I mean is there's more than one perspective. Perspective's a powerful thing. Perspective is made up of experience, information, values, ideals, opinions, and many other things. But all of those things go together to create the perspective that we would have on a given thing. Two people can look at the same thing, or two people can hear the same news, and yet come away with two totally different perspectives upon what they've encountered. Sometimes we use the illustration, is the glass half empty? Or is the glass half full? And two people can look at the same glass and one will say that glass is half empty. The other says it's half full. But perspective dictates how you interpret information. Let me give you an illustration on perspective. And you've probably heard a preacher use this before. I have, but just imagine this. A man falls into a pit and cannot get himself out. A subjective person came along and said, I feel for you down in the pit. An objective person comes next and says, well, it's logical somebody had to fall into the pit. A Christian scientist comes along and says, you only think you're in the pit. Perspective. A Pharisee passes by and said, I told you only bad people fall into pits, right? A mathematician comes by and says, let me calculate how it was you fell into this pit. A news reporter comes next, and of course, a news reporter, they just said, can I get an exclusive story on how you might have fallen into this pit? A realist comes next, and they say, huh, that's a pit. That'd be a blessing. A geologist passes by and says, you ought to just appreciate the strata of the rock down in that pit. Next, our favorite, an IRS agent passes by, and quickly the devil comes and takes them back to hell where they belong. I mean, no, not really. An IRS agent passes by and says, are you paying taxes on your pit? <laughs> Next, the county inspector passes by. Oh, my. And says, do you have a permit for the pit? An evasive person comes next, and they avoid the subject altogether. An optimist passes by and says, huh, it could get worse. A pessimist comes behind him and says, it's going to get worse. And then Jesus sees the man in the pit, reaches down, and pulls him up out of the pit. 
Perspective is not so much about what you're looking at. Perspective is about how you see what you're looking at. For example, where I might see a lump of clay, a potter might see a beautiful vase. Where I would see a jagged piece of rock, a sculptor can see a beautiful form. Where I would see just an old piece of wood, a woodworker could see a fine piece of furniture. Perspective is not so much what you're looking at, it's how you see what you're looking at. Now, sometimes it can be hard for us to comprehend that God is sometimes vastly different than us in the area of perspective. Isaiah 55 tells us that God's ways are not our ways. God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And God's perspective is not always exactly like my perspective. And let me say, I am glad that God does not always see things the way that I might see things. To the world, Noah's family was burdened with the ark. But from God's perspective, he was blessed to get to build the ark. From the world's perspective, Joseph's life was a wreck. But from God's perspective, Joseph's life was working together for good. From the world's perspective, David was too small and inexperienced to be a leader. But from God's perspective, he saw a man that could be a king after his own heart. I think about Calvary. From the world's perspective, Calvary was see a scene of great agony and defeat. But from God's perspective, that was the greatest display of love that man has ever witnessed. You see, when God looks at something, he often sees it differently than how man looks at the same thing. When you and I see something hopeless, God might see hope there. When you and I see something that is defeated, God might see victory there. When you and I see something that is broken, God sees something he can piece back together there. The Red Sea looks a lot different to God. Goliath looks a whole lot different to God. The walls of Jericho look a whole lot different to God. Nebuchadnezzar looks a whole lot different from the perspective of God. This morning, for just a minute, what I want us to do is consider the story of the prodigal son, but from a different perspective. Now, we all have known a prodigal. Maybe you've been a prodigal. We've watched them drift and we've seen them fall. We've seen them emptied by sin and ravaged by their decisions. We've felt the heartache that it causes and the heartbreak that it brings, and maybe some of us have even caused that ourselves. When it comes to a prodigal, we've probably all cast our judgment, we've offered our thoughts, we've shared our opinion, and we've offered people our perspective on that person who has wandered from God and found themselves in the hog pen of this world. All of us have our perspective on the prodigal, but what I want to do for a moment is to take, I said, our shoes off, step onto holy ground, and not look at the prodigal through our eyes, but I want to see that prodigal son through the eyes of his loving, faithful father. Now we're familiar with this parable. In fact, it's probably the most well-known parable that Jesus ever preached. This parable is one of three that make up this 15th chapter. Every parable in this chapter deals with the recovering of something that was lost. In the beginning of the chapter, there are 99 sheep accounted for and one is lost. But the shepherd loves the lost sheep so much, he will leave the 99, wander through the wilderness in spite of the danger to bring back one lost sheep. And by the way, when he brings it back, they don't sit there snooze and they don't sit there and yawn. They shout it out over one lost sheep that has been recovered. 
Then there's a story of a lady who had 10 pieces of silver and she loses one of her pieces of silver. She's not content to have a lost piece of silver. So she sweeps the house until she finds it. When she finds that one silver coin, she throws a party. All of her neighbors and friends come together and rejoice that one piece of silver has been recovered. Now in our text, one man has two sons. One of his sons goes to the far country, but will find when that boy makes it home, the father meets him with compassion and celebration, and there is rejoicing over one wayward son that comes home. Now consider with me this parable. There is a father and there's two sons. There's an older brother and there's a younger brother. This family is no doubt affluent and they enjoy the finer things of life. They live on a large estate. They have an impressive house. Their fields are full of produce and their barn full of livestock. If you're going to choose a house to live in, you'd probably choose their house. If you're going to choose a piece of property to own, you'd want to own their piece of property. If you could have a family name, you'd probably say, I want that family name. If you could handpick your father, you'd say, well, I think that man would make a pretty good father. And in verse 11, look at it with me. The story begins to unfold. And he said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. Think with me about this story. First, I want you to consider the evaluation of the father by this younger son. This younger son goes to the father and says, Father, I want my inheritance now. Now, what is so heartbreaking about that is that boy is taking that inheritance that should have not been his until the death of his father. What he's doing is in fact saying, Daddy, I wish you were dead. And in my heart, you are dead. I am dead to you and you are dead to me. I want what's coming to me and I want it now. All of this tragic story starts with a low evaluation of a father who had been so good and so gracious and so giving and so loving in the life of that boy, but he was so blinded to his blessing, he'd rather have the goods of his father than his father. And he said, Daddy, give it to me now. And in my eyes, you're as good as dead. And then we see this, his exodus from the farm. This boy got the assets of his father, liquidates them in whatever fashion he can, turns it into money, and he begins to travel. And in verse 13, it says, and not many days after the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country. But look at the language here. And there wasted his substance with riotous living. This boy had such a low evaluation of his father that it was not difficult for him to make the decision to leave that place he'd been so blessed with food on the table, a roof over his head, a father that loved him, and to go to a place that would bring absolute shame on the name of his father. The far country was not a place for a boy like that. That's where criminals would go. That's where outcasts would go. That's where those with no uh, testimony would go. And he goes to this place so distant from his father. But watch this. This is in introduction, the emptiness of the far country. You see what it says? He wasted his substance with riotous living. Every moment outside of God's will is wasted. 
any place outside of the center of God's will is a spiritual wasteland. And the Bible said he took that which he had and he squandered it. That's what a prodigal is. He's one who spends the valuable things he's been blessed with, with no kind of concern or no kind of uh, maturity. He's a spendthrift. He just runs right through his blessing and he runs through it in a hurry. And you find in the far country that this boy is wrapped up, wrecked, and wrung out by the world. He's out of God's will, away from his father, and he loses the blessing he was blessed with. Empty. So empty is this boy, he joins himself to a stranger of the far country. And he goes so deep down into sin, after he's lost his substance, he said, I tell you what, I'm going to get, it's amazing. He loses all kind of decent, any kind of logic at all. And he gets so low down, he said, I tell you what, I'm going to slop hogs. That is so unfit. And so, uh, so against the religion of his father, I'm going to go down here and feed these pigs. Get down in the muck with them, in the mire with them. He's living as filthy as he can live. That's the problem with getting out of the will of God. There are no governors or breaks once you go down the slope. And he went farther down than he ever dreamed he would. And he finds himself there starving, no more money, Basically naked, because when he comes home, he has to get a robe and shoes. He's not even dressed properly. And he's so hungry that he takes his hand and he reaches down into that filth of a pigsty and he grabs one of those husks that ought to be fed to a hog and he's about to put it to his mouth. And when he gets that thing drawn up to his mouth, all of a sudden, his conscience kicks in and his memory returns and he remembers how good it had been at the father's house and he reveals to us the estimation of his failure. In verse 17 and 19, look what the Bible says. He says, and when he came to himself, he said, how many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and despair and I perish with hunger. But look at this, I will arise and go to my father and I'll say unto him father I've sinned against heaven and before thee but look at 19 and I'm no more worthy to be called thy son make me as one of thy hired servants now a low view of yourself is not going to hurt you but an improper understanding of your standing with God can hurt you I'm going to explain this in a minute now this statement that he makes is both right and it is wrong The word worthy, listen to me, means this. Something that possesses adequate merit or value. Something deserving of someone's attention and affection. So this son is saying that from his perspective, because of how he had acted and what he had done and the heartache he had caused, he had no more value and no more merit and was undeserving of the affection of his father. Now, let me say first, that statement is right in one sense. That prodigal had surely not been a very good son to his father. I say shame on that boy for doing those things and living that way. And in one sense, he is right. He has broken the heart of his father. And he says, I am no more worthy. And from our perspective, we might agree with that. And from his perspective, he knew that was true. And from those who had slopped pigs with him, they said, he's not worthy. And from any stranger in the far country he partied with, they'd say, you're not worthy. But that's their perspective. 
But I think we can learn something. He said, I'm no more worthy. Here's the issue. There must have been a time he thought he was worthy. You say, what do you mean? There must have been a point in his life where he thought he earned the love of the Father. He must have looked at how he lived and thought, I've lived pretty good. He must have thought about what he'd done and thought, I've done pretty good. My father ought to love me. I deserve his attention and his affection. Listen to me. He based his worth on performance. He based his worth on his purity. He based his worth on his practice. But now even this boy knows he's not worthy. Now it's a good thing for this son to feel bad about his sin. You got to thank God when you feel bad about your sin. Because if you don't get convicted of your sin, you're not saved. Say amen right there. God will chastise and convict his children. He deserved to feel the weight of his wrong. He ought to sense the, the weight of his failure. For him to evaluate himself from his perspective and say, I'm 100% unworthy is 100% accurate. He had acted as though he hated his father. He had left like he didn't have a father. He had lived like he didn't care about his father. He sold himself into servitude and tarnished the name of his father. So by act and by deed and by decision and by his own testimony, he has been unworthy of his father. The father who had given him life, the father who had fed him, the father who had put every need before him and met the needs of his life, he'd broken his heart and shamed his name. He was, in a sense, unworthy. This boy knew what he was. He knew what he'd done. He saw himself for what he thought himself to be. He was down in the depths. You don't have to tell him how low he was. He was there. He knows how low he went. Very severe offense, a very wide scope of sin, a long season away from the father, long enough for a famine to arise in that land. He knew all about where he'd been, what he'd done, and who he was to himself. He could look at his life and say, I'm broken. He could look at his purse and say, it's empty. He could look at his past and say, a lot of mistakes. He could think about his father and say, I've done him wrong. And when he took off his experience and information and knowledge together, it formed his perspective. And he said, I've got to go home and tell daddy, I'm not worthy to be his son. So in verse number 20, and I'll apply this in a hurry and we'll be done. In verse number 20, he begins his, his trip back to the family farm. He arises from the pig pen and begins to go back. In verse number 18, he says, I'll arise. But in verse 20, he begins to go. It says, and he arose, and watch this, he comes to his father. Now think about it. As he rose up from that pig pen, all the black muck and mire from that pig pen was now dripping off of him. It was very obvious where he'd been and what he had done. The smell of the pig pen was all over his person. You couldn't disguise it. You couldn't hide it. You could look at this boy and tell he'd been in the far country doing things he ought not to be doing. And he said, I'm going to go home. And I tell you this, when I go home, I'm going to try to make things right with my father. And I don't doubt some of those co-workers in the pigsty said, where are you going? And he said, I'm going home today. And they might have said, you can't go home. You know who you are. You can't go home. You know what you've done. You can't go home. You're one of us now. You've drank at our table. You've partied at our parties. You've lived our lifestyle. You've been in our crowd. You don't have any right to go home to your father. Father, you're not worthy. You've run with our crowd. You've been in our, our activities. You can't go back to your father. But still the son said, I've got to go back. He's humble. He's repentant. His head is hanging down. He walks home. And I don't doubt as he walked home, he practiced his speech. Father, I've sinned against heaven. Father, I've sinned against heaven. Father, I've sinned against heaven and before thee. And I'm no more worthy. And no doubt as he said that all the things he'd done went through his mind like a video playing. 
I'm no more worthy to be called your son. I don't doubt as he walked, every breath he made breathed out unworthiness. Every step he took thundered back to him, unworthy. Every twist and turn of that winding road back to his father's house brought back to his memory. He was unworthy. He probably thought, I've broken his heart. How could he love me? I've tarnished his name. How could he show me grace? I've done him so wrong. How could he ever give me any kind of mercy? It's a long, long trip back to the father's house. There might have been some standards of people standing by seeing this boy. And they saw him there almost naked with mud and mire all over him. The stench of the hogs upon his body. And they thought, who is this beggar? Who is this Vagabond, who is this stranger? I don't know much about him, but it's obvious he is unworthy. No doubt it seemed like the birds would sing out, He is unworthy. The wind would blow and whisper in his ear, You are unworthy. From the perspective of the majority, there was no doubt about it. This boy was unworthy to be a son. Let me say this. There are a thousand voices that are going to be quick to tell you and I that we are not worthy to be a child of God. There's a long line. You don't have to hunt hard to find somebody to whisper in your ear or mess with your heart and tell you that you cannot ever get back where you used to be with God, that God doesn't want you, that God doesn't care about you, that God could not love you. The devil does it every day. Our unconscious does it every day. Our sinfulness reminds us of it every day. There's other Christians that like to tell us that every day. The lost road around us wants to say it every day you are unworthy and from our perspective we might say that is right we are not worthy because we know what we are and we know where we've been and we know what we've done but I'm glad there's more than one perspective a lot of things change in this story but one thing that doesn't change is the way the father sees his son how to make a Baptist shout on Sunday morning. The father sees the son the same way at the conclusion of the story as he saw him that first moment in the cradle. Oh my, as he laid his head on the belly of his, of his wife and listened to that baby kick and, and felt it there. He loved that son then. And then when he saw that boy look up to him from that little crib and smile that big toothless grin, he loved him then. As he raised him as a young boy in his home and bought him gifts on his birthday and celebrated holidays. He loved him then. As he was a young man, a teenager growing up, he loved him then. On that day, he came to the father and said, I wish you were dead. That father didn't change. I'm glad he loved him then. And then every moment he was away in the far country, the father loved him still. He loved him with anticipation. He loved him with expectation. He loved him in waiting. At the, at the property line of his farm, he stood. Every day, he made sure his bed was made. He saved his pot at the table. He had his clothes folded on the bedside. Uh, maybe my boy will come home today. A lot of things changed, but not the affection of the father for his son. Oh my, there's a big difference in being unworthy of the father and being unworthy to the father. And no doubt this son was unworthy of him, but I'm glad we'll find he wasn't unworthy to him. <laughs> The Bible says that father watched for his boy. He welcomed his boy. He wrapped his arms around his boy and then didn't waste any time throwing a party to celebrate his boy. He got his attention and he got his affection, but not because he...
earned it. Not because he earned it. Not because he deserved it. He wasn't worthy because he, because of what he'd done. He was worthy because he was a son. His worth was based not in his performance. It was based in his parentage. It was not based in what he'd done. It was based in his father. He said, son, you can come home. It's not about what you've done. It's not about what you do for me. It's the fact you are mine and I am yours. My blood is in your veins. My name is on your life. You're my son. You can come home. I like it when the father looked at his son. He didn't see his bad decisions. He saw his son. He didn't see the scars of sin. He saw the son. He didn't see the mud. He saw his son. Oh, he's broken and bankrupt and bitter and battered, but he's still his boy. He's dirty down low and wrapped up in his bad decisions, but he's still his boy. He'd hurt him and brought heartache and heaviness to the home, but he's still his boy. He slandered and strayed and sinned and sunk low, but he's still his boy. He felt unworthy and he ought to from his perspective. But from the father's perspective, he said, I'm just glad to have you home. Not about your performance. It's not about your practice. It's not about your prestige, your pocketbook, or popularity. We can alliterate it all day. It's not about that. It's about the fact that you belong to me. And you're my son. I read a quote, and I'll close in a minute. It says, your feeling of unworthiness must not be allowed to be used as an argument to deny God's glorious mercy. Amen. You ought to feel guilty. You ought to feel contrite and broken and repent. But that doesn't mean God doesn't want you back. You say, how do you know the father still loved the son? Let me just mention it to you. I won't preach it. The life of the father determined the worth of the son. That son was made worthy because he belonged to the father by birth. <laughs> what about this? The love of the father defined the worth of the son. I'm glad the love of the father endured all the time of heartache in the far country. No expiration date on a father's love like that. What about this? The lavishing of the father declared the worth of the son. Because when he comes home, he said, get the best rope, put it on him. I'm glad he didn't say, get in the backslider pew. Back there somewhere where nobody can see you. Make sure you show up late and leave early during the invitation. I'm glad he didn't do that. He said, you can sit up here in the front where the big sinners or the trumpet players sit. You can sit right there. He said, then get, 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 get a ring and put on him. That's family insignia. He said, put that ring on his finger. I want everybody to know he's mine. He's no second class child. Amen. He's mine. He said, then get some shoes and put on his feet. New walk of life like he's never left. He said, then here's the best news. We're not going to eat vegetables. We're going to eat beef. He said, I want you to get the, fat, the fatted tofu. Right? These people, these PETA people against killing animals. You know that's where your hamburger comes from. Is that right? But anyway, he, uh, he said, get the fatted calf. And he said, kill it. We're going to have a party. Watch this. The loyalty of the father defined the worth of the son. Because when the elder brother tried to accuse him and condemn him, the father advocated for him. He said, hush it up. He's my son before he's my son now. And by the way, he's your brother. And you ought to just be happy he's home. Let me say this. The only thing standing between the pig pen and a party is proper perspective. You can see your failure 
But your worthiness to be, clear to, to be declared a son is not about the far country. It's about the Father. And He'll welcome you home. Let me read you an illustration in closing that I've, I've heard before and you've heard it, but it's so powerful. A young man had a falling out with his father and left his home. He continued to keep in touch with his mother and he wanted to come home for Christmas, but he thought his father would not welcome him back. His mother wrote to him and said, just come home, just come home. But he felt like he could not come home. He thought his father wouldn't want him. And finally, the time came. The boy had to make a decision. And his mother said this, I'm going to talk with your father. And if, the fa if your father will forgive you, I'll tie a white rag in the limb of the tree in front of our house. And as the train passes by, if you see a white rag in that tree, you know you can come home and your father's forgiven you. The boy agreed to do so. He took a friend with him and they traveled home back to his house. As they got close to the house, he said, I can't stand to look. I, I'm too nervous. I can't look out the window. I, I, I can't do it. He said, would you look out the window and see if there's, a, if, there's a, if there's a white rag in that tree by our house? And as the train pulled up, his friend got near the window and began to look out the window and saw the tree. And the boy said, what about it? Is, is there a white rag in the tree? And the boy was quiet for a minute. And he said, well, is there a white rag in the tree? And he said, no, uh, there, there's not a, a white rag in the tree. He said, there's not a, a white rag. And he said, no, 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 there's not a white rag. There is a white rag on every single branch of the tree. He said, the entire tree is filled with white rags. He said, it looks like you can come back to your father. And here's all I'm saying. I don't care how far away from God you have wandered today. There's a white rag. No, not one. There's a numerous white rags hanging from the tree of life today. You can come back to the Father's house. You can get right with God. You don't have to stay in the far country. No matter who you are, what you've done, or where you're from, you can come home to God today. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.